0: What if instead of saying, there's an app for that, the saying was, there's a bot for that? And what if instead of spending hours of your day performing repetitive tasks, a bot beneath the surface of your screen was doing the work for you?
1: With RPA, in a well-written RPA set of products, you're able to make the lives of people at work much, much easier. It improves their own lives, improves their end customer's life, it improves their business, it improves The value prop they provide so that is the way i think about it and therefore from my experience what i learned from many things that i have done is when you bring it together and say i won't sell you ai or i won't sell you a cloud native product what i will sell you is an experience that allows you to do the things that you want to do in a way that makes sense to you and will be a delight for you to use and for your end users
0: That's Prince Kohli, the CTO of Automation Anywhere, a global enterprise RPA solution and platform that brings robotic process automation to industries worldwide. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Prince discusses how RPA is changing the game when it comes to office efficiency. Plus, he details the future of RPA and whether we'll see a future where everyone will eventually have a digital assistant. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org.
2: Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, we have Prince Koholi. He is the CTO of Automation Anywhere, one of the big competitive marketplaces in RPA, robotic process automation. Prince, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Albert. It is great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
2: All right. So let's dive right into it. We always want to ask about what you're working on right out the gate. Automation Anywhere is one of the leaders in robotic process automation. I understand what robotic process automation is, but if you could, in your words, explain it to people who are maybe hearing about this for the first time.
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, Robotic process automation, uh, RPA for short, is one of the, I would say, probably the hottest uh, technologies that, that have been around for the last few years. What it really stands for is intelligent automation. What that means is that in most companies, most enterprises, and in most houses, as a matter of fact there are things that occur that are uh, repetitive uh, maybe complex maybe hard are often complex and hard but are repetitive which means that they occur all the time and you want them done uh, quickly in an error free way and hopefully in a way that people have to do uh, have to focus less on them uh, you can there are so many examples think of invoice processing think of uh, uh, industrial automation Uh, You can think of any many uh, HR uh, kind of functions like people onboarding, finance functions as well. So if you're able to automate these, it makes the lives of employees better. It makes the lives of end customers better. That is what RPA does.
2: Perfect. And when I first heard about RPA, I literally thought it was physical robots, but it's not physical robots. It's literally a computer program that's inside your computer that can essentially take over your computer and do all the functions across multiple applications without a layer of coding. So you gave an example of like order management or invoicing. I'm going to use the example that my friend shared with me that his client is using, which is he was mentioning that in medical billing, that if you're the insurance company, you get these billing and invoices from all these different doctors and doctor's offices. They all use different forms, different systems. They're all different. And they literally would have people that would then take a look at what was written down. And code it, code it to whatever the medical outcome was, which then they would then be able to visually triage it and figure out who goes to where and what gets covered and what needs more information. And they said they got rid of the people, not they got rid of the people, but they freed the people to do other things because the robot inside the computer could actually handle that, like get the form, download it from email, upload it to storage, check out what the person filled out use AI to figure out which codes needed to be applied and send it on its way. That's the use case he used. Did you have any use cases that you have that can better, I guess, portray how RPA works for the audience?
1: No, Albert, that's a great use case. And I will spend uh, maybe a half a minute on it and then I will talk about another one. The reason that use case is very important is also think of it in the context of uh, even the pandemic. Uh, There are so many, uh, the, the pressure on the healthcare system has increased so much. And you want do- doctors and nurses to spend time taking care of people, not taking care of paperwork, right? Not trying to look at valves and see what the pressure is on them or going and handling this millions of documents that come and then entering data into a computer. You want them to talk to patients, to talk to people who are calling, etc. So RPA allows all these things that people, you know, always in their head are thinking, I wish I, I had someone, an assistant to take care of. And here is an assistant that takes care of it. Without you having to kind of really program it, uh, it can figure out on on its own what needs to be done and then automate that. And that creates uh, software robots, which are called bots for short. And that really is is what RBA is. Another example of uh, this, and I'm using uh, maybe uh, to stay in the healthcare space, maybe even contact tracing. Contact tracing is very mechanical work. It is hard to do. Uh, You have to go and go through a lot of data sets to see where infections may have occurred. That's another thing that RP is able to do very well. Uh, In today's context, these things become even even more important. But of course, uh, we work in every industry across pretty much every country all over the world.
2: So the way I think of it is when, you know, Anytime you're using a computer and you have to, let's say, use the copy and paste function. That's why that's usually how I describe it to people. Like if you're copying and pasting things into different programs and applications right out of the gate, that's a task that can be automated. But RPA goes more than that. It's cross application, cross functionality. Like it can literally, the way it's described to me is it can literally use your computer like a person would. It just does it over and over again across different applications. How do you think of it when you first, when you first describe it to somebody? You know, they use digital assistant a lot, but that's always a lot. You know, to me, that's the problem with digital assistant is everyone says digital assistant. You know what I mean? Like when I think of my Google phone or my Siri, I tell it to do something for me and it can kind of do something in one application, right? If I say, like, make me a meeting or send me a reminder, it'll open up my reminder app and set something up. If I say, like, play a song, it'll open up my music app and play a song. But RPA is like another level, right? It takes information across many applications that may not be connected.
1: You are exactly right. For example, and this is a real life example from many of our customers. I use the invoice, I used invoice as an example earlier, but let me showcase that uh, to demonstrate how many applications one has to work across. So invoices, there is no standard invoice template. Invoices come in as many flavors as there are vendors out there. Actually, more than that, each vendor has a different has many different kinds of invoices as well. There are, uh, you are a company and vendors send you invoices. Each of them is different, different tags, different asset IDs, different PO numbers, whatever it may be, handwritten or not, maybe in different languages and with different phrases and tags to mean the same thing. What does an invoice person, an invoice clerk, which is often a role has to do? They have to look at the invoice, they have to understand with what it is against, what is the data that they are reading, then they have to verify that. Did we receive the asset? Did we receive the service? Uh, and it was it received on time? Uh, who signed off on it? And if many of these if then elses are taken care of, then do we issue them a check and if so in what amount? That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's also work that can be described uh, kind of in a flowchart, right. You know you do this and you do this and then you do this. Uh, with our software, of course, you don't even have to describe it. You can uh, figure it out by observing a person. But at least, in a you know, as a as a way of uh, explaining it, you can describe it. This is what it's supposed to do. So, if you are able, to, an invoice clerk can say, uh, "I have this software, bot. it automatically looks at my email, and when an invoice comes in comes in as an attachment, it will read it, parse it, understand it, and then will do everything I just did." While I work on doing other things, for example, making the invoice process better, right other things that I are uh, you know talking to more vendors or creating value in a different way, negotiating with vendors, that's a different thing that they can do while this bot that they have to augment their work takes care of most of this mechanical work that is RPA as well
2: so the way you hit on it is and this, I'd love to hear from you as well because you know you're on the forefront programming these applications so I want to ask you about this, which is, you know, your career has expanded as a VP level of engineering from, you know, it's pretty substantial, right? You've been at Citrix at the same role, Erickson at the same role, or ThoughtSpot at a similar role, and then now you're now CTO at Automation Anywhere. Tell me about what your experiences, how your experiences now influence your ability to run and implement technology for Automation Anywhere. Because I feel like what's unique about RPA is not only does its product itself have to be you know, very advanced, but you're also, we talk about it with other companies that are in like low-code or no-code industries, where you also have to know how other applications work, right? Like, so not only are you programming Automation Anywhere, but it also has to be able to functionally work with all these other tool sets. Tell me about how your career, I guess, has helped you identify and guide the technology for Automation Anywhere.
1: It's a very insightful question, uh, Albert. Uh, and, uh let me uh, so the way i i think of this and that's actually one of the reasons i work in this company and i chose this company is that in my career i have worked and i've had a you know a quarter century uh, or more working in in the it uh, technology space i have worked in uh, core operating systems in hardware software in applications in uh, networking telcos uh, telecommunication companies cloud infrastructure ai big data you know you name it What I have learned, I don't know if everyone has the same uh, insight. My insight was that when you are building cloud, for example, or using AI or working on big data um, or working working on applications that interact with people, in the end, the biggest impact is made in the workspace of a company. And the way to do that is not to sell them a piece of technology, but to make their lives meaningfully different. And I'll give an example from a consumer space because I think most people can identify with that. Think of the iPhone. The iPhone has so much technology inside it. You know, it has AI, it has capacitors that allow you to do touch things with it. It has fingerprint or used to have fingerprint sensors. It has face IDs. It has a lot of, uh, uh, it has Siri. It has many other applications that make your life easy. But iPhone, Apple doesn't sell you technology right? Apple doesn't say buy an iPhone because it has uh, there are a million patents behind it. There are 2 million things that are so cool. They say it makes your life easy, right? You can do so many things in such an easy way. And that is true. You can. Similarly with our product and with RPA in a well-written RPA uh, set of products, you're able to make the lives of people at work much, much easier. It improves, improves their own lives, improves their end customer's lives, It improves their business. It improves uh, the value prop they provide. So that is the way I think about it. And therefore, from my experience, what I learned from many things that I have done is when you bring it together and say, I won't sell you AI or I won't sell you a cloud-native product because it is cloud-native. What I will sell you is an experience that allows you to do the things that you want to do in a way that makes sense to you and it will be a delight for you to use and your, for your end users as well. So that's the way I think about it. So all my experiences have gotten to this point where I don't, st- don't just create one piece of technology. I try to create the entire package that brings you know, 40 things together to cater to my users. I hope that makes sense. No, it <laughs> does.
2: And let's use that number. All right. You said that number, 40 things, because right now RPA is making headways in enterprise, typically enterprise organizations, Right. Where they're looking to improve business processes that are either repetitive, tedious, too many people involved, not smooth. Uh, you name the reason why they want to solve it, they want to solve it, right? And so here you are, your CTO, you have to decide and choose what to build, right? You, because the product you have is the product you have. But I know that when you sit down with enterprises, they're constantly introducing new challenges to you that maybe you haven't thought of before. What is that like? Are you brought into these meetings where you're talking to the customers, where they introduce you to, their current business process, and they say to you, hey, Prince, that's nice that you guys can do all these things at Automation Anywhere, but what I want done is this process, and it involves these 40 technologies and these armies of people to get it done, because you're constantly being, you know, as, as CTO of an RPA tool, you're, you're con- you have to be constantly being evaluating these tools, because what can be done with RPA is just, you guys have just started scratching the surface, right? I mean, it's it's just begun.
1: Albert, another great question. And the way that I usually explain it to people on our customer side when they ask these questions is we have architected our technology to not be application focused. So the way we do this is that our core platform, the way it works is reuses an ability to understand anything, including desktops, applications, whether it is, SaaS-based applications, API-based, web-based, you know, green screen, custom applications—it doesn't matter. We are able to take any surface of an application, understand what it does based on how a person interacts with it, and then able to therefore understand the data, the control, right? What are the ins and outs? And because we have built it in in that um, secular way, right, non-application-specific uh, and agnostic way we are able to take any new application as well in as easy a manner as a known application And that allows us to have any large, you know, as large a footprint as you want and be able to work with anything that a person can because we observe it, we have computer vision, so we are able to observe things and we are able to analyze. We are able to uh, take the data, store it, analyze it and using AI interpret it.
2: So this is where I want to ask you more technical question about this process. Because I remember when I was building or working on Teams building applications, you mentioned you're not application specific. And unfortunately, I would say when you're API dependent, you're application specific, right? Because the customer or the integrating product doesn't have an API call that pulls in the data you need, then effectively the integration has ended. So they either have to build something to give you the data or you have, I mean, there's no real other way around it. or. Usually the way around it was like a manual process, like, oh, I go log into this application, download its data in Excel, import it into database, and then my integrating application can then use the information. What's cool about RPA is you guys have figured out basically a way to say like, okay, even if you don't have an API, as long as I have access to the application, it's like even like a login. So application A is on the computer. Application B is on the computer. Automation anywhere will say, hey, I'm going to use application a literally log in like i will use credentials log in grab data i can extract it on a <laughs> on like the user interface side import it upload it yeah it's a manual process except like you said now the bot's going to do it you don't have to as a user do it i mean that's a very rudimentary explanation
1: yeah you have captured it very well uh, the thing i want to add also is that sometimes people get lost uh, talking about apis versus non apis and the way To think about this, and in the RPA world, uh, that's one of the reasons we succeed, is that a regular, normal, smart person, they don't understand APIs, right? Not everyone is a computer scientist or a developer. They don't understand APIs. They should not need to understand APIs, right? APIs are just an interface that we have created sometimes for applications to talk to each other. A, A person who is working on their desktop, on whatever it is that they want to work on, whether it's HR, finance, anything at all, they should not have to worry about APIs. They should not have to worry about technology stacks and what is being used where and what is the database and whether it is an application on the web or not and it's a custom app or not. Those are foreign phrases to them. They shouldn't have to worry, which is why RPA allows them to not worry about them and say, I am just doing this, do this for me. And we will automatically create a bot and if there are APIs, we'll use the APIs, but we will figure it out. If there are no APIs, We'll use the surface of the application. We'll use it just like a person does. Like you look at an app and say, here is what I need to press. Yeah, Here is what I need to do. And that's what we will do. It just makes the life so much more intuitive and easier for our users. So what
2: are the unique skills that a person needs to be able to build and work on, you know, an RPA-based company or at automation anymore? What kind of skills are you looking for in your developers?
1: So there are multiple kinds of roles that we hire for, um, I would So in our core development, I would say there are two or three different areas. One is just having, being a strong programmer is always useful. I am very strongly of the view that if you're a problem solver, then you can solve many problems, right? It doesn't matter where it is, what domain it is in. So if you are a good programmer and a good problem solver, you can do many, many things. Uh, Now, besides having strong development skills, we separately hire for data scientists and AI people because there is so much AI that we use across the platform. Uh, and in addition to this, uh, the, one of the other large areas we hired for is on the cloud ops and, and just the cloud development, because we have, a, we have our software and our products. They are cloud native. They work uh, both on-premises and in the cloud, which means you can deploy it wherever you want. But because it is written for cloud by default, uh, we also wanted to make sure it works very well on the cloud. Um, so we hire for those as well. But in general, smart people, driven people, people who really want to have a hunger to succeed uh, work very well. anywhere. I guess, not just in our case, in our, not just in our company.
2: So let's take it back to that those problems that you get when you are developing for prospects, right? Because what's cool about RPA, in my opinion, like I said before earlier in the show, is that it's just started, right? This is a discipline that's just started. So it's solved the use cases it's solved for today. Of course, You being the CTO, I'm sure, because I remember when we used to sell software, we used to bring our CTO on these sales calls for the big enterprise deals. They said, "Hey, Prince, I need you to to be able to solve this for me, right?" (laughs) So I'm sure you're being introduced to new use cases, new concepts, new applications to integrate. Tell me how that impacts your decision making in regards to like how you roadmap your technology, your software. What do you need to focus on? Where do your interests lie? And where do you think uh, you know key areas that are going to further demand RPA solutions? Where do you see the market moving for you?
1: So I would say there are a few uh, areas of focus for our customers and therefore areas of focus for us. The underlying truth here is that every enterprise, every company we talk to believes in the value of intelligent automation. So we never have to convince someone that automation and automation with AI is good. They say, yes, I believe you. You don't have to convince me. The problem I have is that I want to make that promise come true right? That is really what the issue is. Uh, because it, this is not the first time uh, people talk about automation. It has been, uh, you know, the urge to automate has been there forever. The way that we solve it for them and the way that they have they have wanted to solve it for them is via a few different mechanisms. One is, it should be easy to discover opportunities for automation. Correct? Think of a company with 1,000 people, 20,000 people, 100,000 people, whichever company it is, If you have to put a team of people who go and observe other people to say what are they doing, which is repetitive, what can I automate, or you have people self-report, that is never going to work. There are so many reasons it won't work, but it will not work. So first thing is, um, what you must solve is discovery, meaning how do I discover opportunities for automation? Second, once you have discovered that, how do you very easily and in the simplest possible way know how to prioritize that, and know which ones of them to automate. And then, of course, the third thing falls out, which is having decided what to automate, how do I automate it in as simple a way as possible, right? So discovery, prioritization, automation. And once you have done all that, then to have the way to scale it easily at the lowest possible cost, fastest possible efficiency, very good reporting, and then future prediction that says, By the way, I have analyzed what you are doing. And there are some insights I have to offer for you. And doing it in a safe, secure, auditable, trackable manner. Right? These are the things our customers ask for. And I can go through why we work very well for them. Because uh, often our journey starts with, here is what I know I will automate. Here are the many other things I would like you to tell me how to automate. And our discovery board goes in and observes either a person multiple times or a cohort of people looks for patterns, and then exposes them to you and also recommends which are the ones that should be should be automated. And then when you've decided what to automate, then at the click of a single button, uh, it automates them as well and puts them into the same platform. And after that, of course, we do reporting and we will do auditing and insights for you. We will help you create secure bots. It's right? so everything that an enterprise is either wishes for or is worried about you know we try to solve it for them
2: so you you mentioned on the discovery side that's where a lot of the automation decisions come from now there's another discipline out there that's happening right now the tech companies are in this field business process mining does automation anywhere also do business process mining do you guys do that as well or do you guys partner with other companies that are then you know figuring out where the business process challenges are where then you can say okay there's a definite challenge in like you said the payables or invoicing process and this is how we can envision automation to handle this level of, you know, decreased data flow, or to increase the data flow, to increase the throughput of the organization, so you can process more invoices with less uh, less error.
1: So process mining is uh, is a generalized term uh, for all these processes that exist, and a way to understand what they are. And while these are not industry standard terms right now, mining and discovery. Generally, what they're meant to mean is the uh, mining is a bigger umbrella term and discovery looks at it from the perspective of the user or the employee. And sometimes uh, from discovery, often they, uh, because those are, every process has to interact with the person, right? Or most processes interact with the people. Right. So from the person's perspective, when they look at a the process, then they get the right view of the process. And therefore, they're able to discover or mine the process. Some companies will go do it from the server end look at the logs uh, that uh, sometimes is called pure process mining when you look at that uh, from that perspective it works for a few processes very well but by and large since most processes actually involve people process discovery that is people led or start from uh, looking at from a person's point of view creates uh, for a higher higher efficiency and just a you know kind of better automation opportunity for a company
2: gotcha Let's dig deeper into that. Why do you think it is that people-led is actually a better methodology than just using mining? Like you said, mining is just in the data. Data You can measure data. It's slowing up here. You can measure time data between point A, point B, system one, system two. You got that. Those are in the logs. That's That records are kept. What is it about evaluating through a person's perspective that you're unlocking? And do you have examples of things that you've unlocked, meeting with people that you would have maybe never seen in the data?
1: Of course. Of course take a few examples i will provide one example of from the fabrication industry uh, chip fabricate chip fabrication okay over there there are multiple machines just to describe the problem first uh, there is a machine uh, that creates uh, uh, you know a wafer every 15 minutes at the wafer from a wafer multiple chips are made as you are aware and wafers often have flaws. Uh, and it's the degree of the flaw that determines whether a wafer should be kept or thrown away. Now, what happens is every 15 minutes, a machine produces a wafer. There are hundreds of these machines. And someone has to look at each wafer. You take a, a, either an electron microscope or some really fancy microscope uh, picture of it. You, you observe it, see what kind of flaws are there on the wafer. And if the flaws are very bad, you throw the wafer away, and if they are not, you keep the wafer. That, at a high level, is what happens. Now, uh, usually the people who have to observe these uh, are kind of PhDs. They're very, they're very smart people, look at these flaws, and for every 100 wafers, you're only looking at 1% or 2% of the wafers, because this is just an expensive process, and the wafers are being produced at such speed. Now, what we did was uh, that when we went into, and this was one of the, top, the largest uh, founders in the world, Uh, What they did, uh, and this was their own idea, they said, okay, I am going to go and automate this because I can see that my people are doing this. Now, there was no back-end way to capture it because these systems don't talk to each other. And there are no logs to see what people are spending time on. People are just spending time on it. So the way that they saw this was that their own teams observed what they are doing. It was a human-led way to look at the process and say, I am looking at this. I need to see how I can create an end-to-end solution that is much faster. So they took our product, then our product goes and takes a picture, uses uh, that picture to send it to an AI engine. The AI engine then looks at uh, that uh, picture and says, either keep this wafer or throw it away with this confidence interval. And then we manipulate all the machines, the the fab machine that create the wafer the machines that take the picture, the AI engine and the result of that, and then the machine that keeps it or throws it away across hundreds of these machines. So to go from 1% efficiency, we went to 99% efficiency. And you could not have done with process mining, only do with discovery. Both have their place. Now, where if it is completely backend driven, it's all servers. Of course, mining is the right way to do it. But it just, in our experience, in our customer experience, most, a large majority of processes, are human-led or touch humans at most important places. So something that is led from a person's perspective usually discovers the most important process.
2: See, every time I hear one of the outcomes of RPA, I think to myself, that's amazing, right? You're talking about, hey, people are physically doing this. You have to depend on them to load the photo, but if they mess up the photo, whatever reasons happen in the photo process, you say, like, that's actually all the holdup. We introduce an art robot that takes the photo, then moves it to the next data system, and there you go. You went from. Can you repeat again? Like what it w- was before, and then what it happened after?
1: Yeah, it was close to one percent uh, uh, sampling rate earlier, meaning for every hundred wafers, you could only look at one or two percent. <laughs> I mean, no more than that. Uh, and now we are close to ninety-nine percent. Look at the number of people, like smart people's times that you saved, and they could do. They could do things that are much more creative. You also reduce wastage, right? Every wafer. That you don't capture uh, and it is it's faulty. It creates so much wastage everywhere. But
2: yeah, I mean, especially if you're talking about this product would eventually make it down the path to a customer's hands. If it's a faulty wafer, of course, you have to handle the return. There's the loss of customer confidence. Now you're talking about 99% are examined. So that must mean the percentage of returns has to have fallen significantly.
1: Uh, that's right. It's a huge, right? It's an entire pipeline of people, money, process, uh, everything that gets and uh, multiplied by a million because these is one of the largest founders in the world. Imagine how many, you know, how much savings it leads to. And reduces frustration and increases employee morale. I just, I just it's a, you don't want to be doing those things to your people because it can be very boring and menial. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you, you hit it rather than nail in the head, right? You're talking about super smart people. Like you said, PhDs, scientists, engineers, they're fussing around taking photos. Like why are you taking the photo? Like right. <laughs> just let the machine take the photo. You know, let the system take the photo, send it up, get it going. So, one of the things that has been promised in the RPA industry or people talk about, which I'd love to hear your perspective on this, is that they talk about a goal for like every person in the future is going to have a bot, right? This has been discussed at a couple different like conferences and articles I've read. And I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, this sounds amazing. How far are we before, you know, instead of a big company buying, RPA. I just buy it for myself. Like I, you know, I bought Microsoft word for myself. I'm going to buy an RPA package for myself to handle some of the things that maybe I don't want to handle anymore.
1: See, that's, that's a rich vein of questions. There are so many directions you can go and you can go, go to from there. Um, I'll give you a couple. Uh, one is that um, you could say that you are a person who builds his or her own bots. So when you are, when you go are pitching yourself as a, you know, to a, to a potential employer, you not just pitch yourself; you pitch the bots you built. You say, "I come with my bots, right?" You don't just hire me; you hire a, a lot of the IP that I have built with me. I can do these things faster because I have an army with me, right? An army that I have, I control. There is that, and that I think is fascinating, and I suspect that will happen. The second is when you, you know, when you talk about a bot uh, for every person for every employee. I sometimes uh, the image I get in my head is. Uh, you know, for fans of, of Star Trek, you remember that, you know, Captain or Spock or whoever it is, you know, you tap your chest and say, computer, start the engine, right? Computer, turn left, right? You know, go go to Galaxy, Andromeda, you know, whatever, Planet X. Mm-hmm. And it is a hard thing to do, right? An engine does not get started by clicking a button. There is many things you have to do, but they don't show them doing any of that, right? What is going on? There is a bot taking care of it, Right? So therefore, everyone has a bot already uh, in that context. And that is what will happen. You will say, okay, computer, do this. And behind it, there is a bot that goes and manipulates applications and machines and interfaces and makes it happen for you. Because you don't want to be caught up in all the little stuff that goes to create kind of the bigger you know, bigger thing happen. So there will be bots for every employee, uh, but you may not think of them uh, as uh, sometimes they may be your bots that you bring to work. Sometimes it may be the company's bots that help you do things. And sometimes it may just actually be a bot that sits on your chest and listens to you and says, okay, I will do whatever you ask me to, sir.
2: <laughs> so I'm gonna bring this, I'm gonna bring this into our podcasting world. Okay. Right. And you tell me how close we are to this scenario today. Cause this will make our team super excited. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right now, the way podcast publishing works is you do not get your destination episode until it's published there. Makes sense, right? Spotify. Google Podcast, mm-hmm. Apple podcast they don't create the show link until you publish the podcast. What we then do have to then take all these show links and then let's say move them to a social media calendar so we can post about on social media. We have to take all these show links and notify our clients that, hey, your shows are up and out and send an email. We have to retrieve all these show links and then drop them into our WordPress site, right? Like our our press, our mission.org is built on WordPress. So we have to create a landing page. Prince is gonna have his own episode. We're gonna link out to his store. I mean his episode, right? So it's kind of a Spotify link, it's gonna have a Google Podcast link. It's gonna have, you know, all these links. This is all done manually. Poor poor producer on the call right now, Aaron. So every every time a show publishes, he does this link retrieval and distribution manually, right? (laughs) Can RPA solve that right now?
1: My only question is. Aaron, what would you do with the hours and days of time that you will save tomorrow? Because this is this is so easy uh, for RPA. Why would, you, why would you spend your own time? You should spend your time doing other things, maybe playing the guitar. <laughs> so Albert, the answer is yes, absolutely. So RPA can do this and RPA should be doing this, right? Because in many cases, this is simply, if you let the software do this, it is... It can do it faster and can do it better in some ways because a person will get tired after a while. There'll be errors, right? It'll be, you know, whatever errors a person will make in the end. Yeah.
2: There's no reason to. to, yeah. Yeah, you can copy and paste one missing character. All of a sudden the show links don't work.
1: And also sometimes it can also lead to bad mistakes. Sometimes you will share things with someone you don't want to share it with, right? And a person, people get tired, right? They'll make these mistakes. The software will not do that. You will get consistent output from it all the time. You will never kind of send the Spotify link to Google or vice versa.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's because, and the reason why we have to do that is because these systems don't talk, right? Spotify is not connected to WordPress. WordPress is not connected to our email system. They don't talk. So there's no way to build the traditional way of engineering a solution for this is you need to have all these um, APIs connected and you have to write a software layer. To like connect all these things,
1: yeah, but then you have to hire developers as well. So let's say there were APIs, right? Um, and let's say that you, each of them actually had APIs. They don't, but let's say they did. Yep. Then you have to hire a developer or two to write the software to do this. And then tomorrow, if the API changes or something new has to be done, you have to rehire the developer to maintain, fix. Um, we don't want, uh, you know, we don't want everyone is a developer. They don't should they should not have to be, right? They should just be able to explain. I want this done. It should get done.
2: So you hit the nail where I was getting at, which is like in enterprise applications or enterprise use cases, Mm -hmm. typically you're moving data between, like we already talked about, multiple tools, interfaces, applications, people. You mentioned that before anything gets resolved, right? From the moment a customer says, I want this to the moment they get it, the amount of systems, whatever that is touching is phenomenal. We used a use case earlier in one of our other episodes of lost luggage, uh, where a person has lost luggage, they submit a claim. The claim then goes to you know, has to go to the inventory system. The, the people on the floor have to find this bag. Then, wherever airport it is, they have to scan it in. It's got to get sent back on another plane. That then has to come to me. That has to then. So a lot of things have to happen before I get my bag back. Yeah, it's way more the complicated than me calling and saying, "Hey, I want a bag." Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So all those different systems and tracks that it moves through all have to be connected, and they all there's also a lot of dependencies. So we talked about this is. If you were, because we talked about a little bit earlier in the conversation, when I used to develop applications, we would use API interface to pull in data from all these different disparate sources. Whenever our data was corrupted, we always have to to figure out like, well, which one of my API calls is no longer working? That's not a hard thing to figure out, but it, like you said, it requires an engineer to do that.
1: That's right. Yeah.
2: How do you engineer products to not have like these single points of failure or, or easier to solve or resolve points of failure? Or is it just because it's not API dependent, it just fails less? like talk about like those breaking the chain right because it, like we said there's so many pieces of systems that need to touch this information before a successful action occurs
1: yep so let's start from how a person would be doing it right a person um, they look at data uh, either on an app or on a piece of paper and then they go and either enter the data or they take some action based on that in a different app. Then some result appears, and they take that and take another action. And so this is a chain of events mm-hmm. a person would do, which is usually called a process. Now, uh, if there is an error somewhere, and a person will make errors as well, uh, you then have to go and look at each of these and say where was the error made, right? You have to manually go each of the systems and say where was the data either incorrectly entered right a typo occurred just you know just a finger slip or um, something else occurred but i have to go and go through each of these and backtrack now uh, if that person instead says i am going to have a bot do this for me uh, what happens the bot and by the way our bots can read paper they understand paper they can parse paper the bot says i read through this paper i looked at the legal contract i looked at something else this is the data i read i will store it then I will send this data to this app. And then I will send this data to this app. And the thing that the bot has done is that a bot does not do, does not, the fingers don't slip for a bot, right? If, if the number is X here, the number is going to be X there. There is no doubt, correct? Right? That, that will never change. Because again, I mean, that's unless there are bugs, which is a different problem. And you can at any point, if you want to audit what happened if you want if there is whether there is a mistake or not if there is a problem at any point all you have to do is go look at the bot records and say oh it's so easy to know what happened right because you can easily track the entire process without having to ask a human to rely on their memory of what they did so this is immediately for security purposes uh, just to understand the process just to see how things are where are they what takes time what doesn't take time what should i what what, what should i do better all these things suddenly become about data. And your enterprise then becomes data-driven because now you can explain your enterprise in terms of the processes that are followed, where is the time being spent, where is the value being added, and what is the thing that you need to enhance. So suddenly you have a very different view of your company, right? And bots allow you to do that. And all you do, as I said earlier, and as you said earlier, troubleshoot where things are because you have an entire written traffic right, of, uh, of, of all steps that were
2: taken. I'll tell you what, you know, this is, of course, a Salesforce-sponsored show. Every person that uses, that is in sales, they don't know it yet, but they're going to love RPA because one of the hardest things about working with sales reps, and I'm sure you guys, you've you heard this complaint, Prince, is that sales reps constantly do not use the systems of information transfer that they have available to them, right? So That's right. Exactly. You'll hear in sales organizations, they talk about the Bible of like, if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen. (laughs) Let me tell you how many sales reps are good at putting it into Salesforce. (laughs) So I'm thinking about all the information that a bot could help me with, right? So for example, if I book a meeting on the calendar, why would I have to then go record that in Salesforce? That makes no sense right? It should just record it for me.
1: If, uh, you know what I mean? It should be good. C- creating a code from a given data, sending a code yeah. to a customer, right? To a rep, all these things, a person should not have to do it. It should just get triggered automatically.
2: There you go. I'm telling you, man, when, when RPA becomes more widely available at the consumer level, it's going to be an absolute game changer. I know you guys are already changing enterprises very quickly, but, you know, we're not an enterprise yet at mission. And, you know, so we can't quite afford the tools yet, but like, I can see it coming. I can see it coming.
1: (laughs) Uh, You can afford it. RPA, we give, uh, RPA for us, it's free. We have community edition. We give to small companies and use it for free. You should play with it. It comes on the browser, nothing to install, easy. I'm going to get it. I'm going to pick it up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's that's our mission. We're going to play with it. We're going to play with it. All right. That is good. I'm getting giddy thinking about it. All right. We're coming to the end. So we have to move on to the lightning round, Prince. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. I heard you were a squash and a bridge aficionado. Prince, which one do you like more? Do you like playing squash or do you like playing bridge more?
1: Oh one's for my brain, one's for my body. So both of them. <laughs> Can't pick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay. When you play bridge or squash, do you gamble?
1: Oh, uh, I, I gamble, but not bridge and squash. I gamble in poker. Uh, my, my kids, I have two boys, and they love poker because they are both very good in math, and they calculate probabilities every chance, and they force me to do it with them. So I love poker, but we play it in a very math-oriented way.
2: Yeah, I'm okay. Wait a second, though. But you know, poker is very much a game of emotion in people, right? Yes,
1: yes. (laughs) If you know, if
2: you can be stone cold and read what your sons are thinking, you should be able to win,
1: even if you don't have the cards. And that tells you why they win more often against me than I win against them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you have your own bot on your personal computer?
1: Uh, yes, i do. um i have I have a bot uh, it allows me to actually take there are some uh, standard emails that I get uh, on which actions have to be taken. Sometimes it's for requests that come, which I know what needs to be done. So the the bots help expose them to me. And in some cases, they help do it for me as well.
2: All right. Now I always like to ask leaders this question too. How many emails a day do you get?
1: Right now, it's not too bad. It's maybe a couple of hundred. It's not too bad. That still
2: sounds bad to me. A couple hundred. (laughs)
1: It it has been worse.
2: What is an addicting app on your phone that you just find yourself using all the time?
1: There are two. Uh, It's uh, Sudoku and Kindle. Oh, you're a thinking man. See, this is this,
2: Sudoku, how fast can you solve four Sudoku puzzles that are in the magazine of an airplane?
1: The airplane ones are pretty easy. Those are pretty easy. So each day you can do one in a few minutes. Um, so if there are four, I would say 15 minutes. But the airplane, airline ones are easy. Uh, there are some much harder ones.
2: Now I feel bad about myself. Prince, I used to, to give myself a challenge and say, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to solve all four before the plane takes off. But you're saying that's not a problem.
1: They're just airline ones. I, I know you're very good at it. But the airline ones, you know that many of them are pretty simple. <laughs>
2: If you weren't in technology, what would you be doing?
1: I would be a bridge player who travels around the world because that takes care of two things I like to do. Uh, I like bridge and I like travel.
2: Hey, listen, I'm a big traveler fan myself. I can't wait for some of these restrictions to lift. I'm excited to get back in a plane going somewhere. And last but not least, for a first-time CTO, what's the best advice you could give to a first-time CTO?
1: Never think organizations, never think silos solve the problems for the company. Assume every team is yours and assume your team are everyone else's. So just solve the right problems. you know Everything then happens correctly for you. So
2: that goes back to your statement earlier, right? If you solve how a company works, whether it's your own or someone else's or customers, you will made a huge impact. That is correct. Prince, I appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries. Any last words?
1: Uh, I really enjoyed it, Albert. Uh, and uh, to all our friends who are listening, uh, come enjoy RPA. We promise you a great time, uh, but it's a one-way street. Once you are down it, you will never go back. That's my warning.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to using these community tools. Listen, I believe you. Once it solves one problem, you'll never let it go. It's going to solve other problems for you. Prince, thanks for joining us on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your insights into the world of RPA, an emerging industry that many people may not know about. And uh, thank you for sharing all the advice that you gave.
1: Thank you, Albert.
0: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.